Hey, Judges chapter 6, we're going to look at I'm going to give you a little context of what I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to talk to you about a guy named Gideon. We're in our series called Summer Shorts. Uh, today would have been a good day to wear shorts because it's a little warm in here, but it's all good. But uh, we're in a series called Summer Shorts. We're talking about short stories with bigger-than-life meetings. And just to give you a little background of who Gideon is, in Judges chapter, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 24, there's this like anthematic verse that some of you probably have on a placard in your house where Joshua says to the children of Israel before he dies, before his time of leading passes, and he says, listen, I don't know what you guys are going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. Then you read through the end, Judges chapter 1, they win a couple more battles, but something happens in Judges chapter 2. It's very, very interesting. It's really a turning point for the children of Israel. They said that uh, the Bible tells that as, 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 as Joshua dies off the scene and everybody that was uh, a father or, or, or uh, the elder statesman of the nation of Israel, as that generation died off, the next generation came in and forgot about all the works that God did through them. Now that happens for two diff- that happens because of two different reasons, right? I'm kind of a my, my background in ministry is student ministry. I was a youth pastor for about 15, 16 years, and I love youth ministry. I love students. I love the students of Warehouse Church. Let's give them a big hand. We got some of the greatest students in the world. Every time we have a work day, it seems that our students outnumber our adults. They're just such great servants, and we just appreciate them. Um, but I'm kind of a firm believer. I heard somebody say this one time uh, about a kid, and they said this about me when I was a little kid, which is probably not that hard to believe, but... Uh, that kid's just a bad kid. And when I hear somebody say that about a kid, that just, goes, that just crawls all over me because you know what I believe? I don't think there's bad kids. I think there's bad parents. Does that make sense? And if your kids are bad, and I'm calling you bad parents today, listen, my kids were bad too sometimes. And, and I didn't become a really good parent until I became a grandparent. Grandparents say amen, okay? You're with me this morning. So, and I understand that, but I just, man, I hate when people label kids like that before they're really even out of the gate, you know, before they grow up and mature. And, you know, kids just go through different stuff, you know, and it's hard. But something takes place, you know, there, there's a responsibility that we as a church have in raising up our kids in a way that they should go. That's a biblical responsibility. And what happened with the children of Israel, you know, you could say that the children of Israel failed because they forgot about the works that God had done through them. But in order for them to forget about the works or not know about the works, it had to have not been communicated to them. Uh, I sit down with my kids and we tell my kids, Kim and I do, about when we met and when we got engaged and when we started dating. And I probably shared more with the church than I'm allowed to sometimes about Kim and Maya's life. And there's times after church we get in the car and Kim will say, I've got something I need to say to you. And I say, I know, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry because I overshare sometimes. But um, we tell them about our lives, and we tell them different stories, and it's, it's kind of funny. Every time we get together with my brothers or my mom or dad, my adult kids always ask my brother, tell me something about your dad we don't know. And he always finds something that they don't know about that I didn't want them to know about. You know what I'm talking about? But that's passed on, right? We pass those stories on. We pass our spiritual heritage on. I, I, I hope that that you don't believe that our church is the sole provider of spiritual influence for your kids. We're a secondary provider. Mom and dad, you're supposed to be the sole provider of spiritual upbringing to your children. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. 
right? It's your responsibility, right? You're the mom and dad. You had your kids. We want to come alongside of you and help you and affirm, confirm, and back up the message that you're sharing with your kids. But mom and dad, it's your job uh, to tell kids about Jesus because if you don't tell your kids about Jesus, guess what? Your children will be just like the children of Israel who forgot or didn't know or never heard about the God that did great works among them. So what happened in the book of Judges, the book of Judges is a book, it's a series of stories, of, of true stories, of historical facts, of leaders that God raised up to, to, to lead the children of Israel out of oppression from the Philistines, from the Midians, and from different countries that came in and conquered them. God would raise up a judge who would submit his heart to them, or kind of like a sheriff or a governor or just some kind of leader that would rally the troops. They would lead the children of Israel to give their hearts back to God. They'd build an army and defeat the enemies of God. And, and, and Gideon was one of those guys. And we're going to read about Gideon this morning. And the reason I wanted to talk about Gideon this month, because, you know, if we're doing sh short stories with big meetings, Gideon was kind of a short guy, and we're going to read about that here in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 for you this morning. The Bible says the Israelites, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up uh, with, their with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them, out of their uh, uh, count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. And that's significant. And this is what would predicate or happen before that God would send a deliverer. The children of Israel would cry out to God. We need help. We're desperate. And you say, man, that's a bad place to be. And I want to tell you something this morning. If you're in a place in your life where you cry out to God and you say, God, I need help. How many of you ever prayed that prayer before? Raise your hand up in the air. Desperate. Busted. My dad used to say this when we were down. He said, Ed, I am busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. He was a white rapper before rap music ever came out. But I'm busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. When we're down and we're at the bottom and things are bad and you think, man, it's so bad. It's so, so bad that I had to cry out to God. That's exactly where he wants you to be. Crying out to him in desperation. Because that's when he meets you. Because it just seems like we don't hear from God, not because he's not talking, but because we're not empty and we're not listening. Can I get an amen on that this morning? So here's what happens here. The Bible says the Israelites cried out for help because of Midian. He sent them a prophet. This is what, and there's the prophet calling for us this morning. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's teaching them things that, that, that their parents didn't teach them. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in the, in the land where you live, but you didn't listen to me. How many of you have ever had your parents or a teacher or someone in authority in your life say, you weren't listening to me? Come on now, raise your hand. That's probably all of us. You weren't listening. 
Have you ever had somebody say to you, guys, has your wife ever said to you, why weren't you listening to me, right? And then you were dumb enough to say this. This is me. You were dumb enough to say, I heard what you said. That's a dumb answer. That's just dumb. I heard what you said, but we weren't what? We weren't listening. Sometimes there's noise, right? There's noise that's out there. We acknowledge the noise. We know that there's noise out there. And what God was saying is, I told you, it's kind of funny when you hear what God was doing because uh, we look at the children of Israel and say, why, 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 why did they turn their backs on God one generation after that? When really just about every story in the Bible we read about disobedience, we can relate to our own lives, right? We've seen blessing, we've seen blessing, God's blessed, God's blessed, God's blessed, and something bad happens in our life because we mess up or don't make a good decision, and it's like we can hear God say to us, I'll tell you why that's happening. You weren't listening. And he reviewed the story of deliverance for them. I was with you when you were with the Egyptian oppressors. I delivered you out of the hands of Israel. I took care of you. You turned your back. I told you not to turn your back. How many times? And I'm, listening, I'm reading this story out of the Bible, and I'm going, man, I wonder how many times God said that to me, like to Jesus or the Holy Spirit or whoever's sitting next to him in heaven. I told him. I told him, I told him, I told him, I told him, and he just wasn't listening again. So as much as we read the story and say, man, why weren't weren't you guys listening? I think all of us can relate to this at some point or another in our lives. So the Bible says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came down, sat down under an oak tree in Ophrah uh, that belonged to Joash uh, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you don't know who Gideon is and you hear this, you know, you hear this first, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes down and says to Gideon, God is with you. You're a mighty warrior. You're thinking maybe he's like Samson, right? Samson's another judge that's, he was a Nazarene, big muscle guy, long hair, made a Nazarite vow. That's another great story in the book of Judges of how God used him and how he disobeyed, but God used him towards the end of his life. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. He's, he's threshing wheat. What, what, what the Bible teaches us is if you read this, what is threshing wheat? To he is basically putting food together and hiding it from the Midianites who were stealing it to try to starve out the Israelites. And God's angel appears to him and says, you are a mighty warrior and I'm gonna use you to do great things, right? And, and this is Gideon's response. This is classic. He says, uh, who, me? That's basically what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us that they, that they would say? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now, but, the, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and saying, go in strength that you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And he says it again, Lord, excuse me? Like, do you know who you're talking to is basically what he says. He says, pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, uh, leaving none alive. Now, it's kind of funny because Gideon, when he says, I'm, I'm, I'm the small, uh, uh, part of the smallest tribe, Manasseh was the smallest tribe of Israel. It's kind of a half tribe. And then Gideon says, and I'm the smallest dude in my family. 
I'm the youngest guy. Why don't you take one of my big brothers or somebody else that's got a little bit more presence? He said, pardon me or excuse me or Lord, do you really know who you're talking to here? I'm probably not the guy that you're looking for is basically what Gideon said. And Gideon was told by God, I'm going to do great things through you. You're going to kill every one of these guys that are trying to get you down. I got your back. The Lord is with you. You're a mighty warrior. And when you understand the history going back two generations after Joshua, all the oppressive things that were happening in the children of Israel, you understand what the judges were. They were governors or sheriffs and people that God was using to to deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. And they were in this cycle in their life that all of us can relate to, right? Blessing, where things get so good, we forget about God, we forget about God, the hand of blessing is removed from our life, and then we go through difficult times. All of us have gone through that, just like the children of Israel did. But it all goes back to our enemy. The Midianites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, all these people that were mentioned in the book of Judges that were enemies of the children of Israel, they weren't the primary enemy of the children of Israel. It's the same enemy we have today, and that's Satan, who's walking around this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I could tell you this with authority. Satan hates what God is doing at Warehouse Church. He does. He doesn't want more people to get saved. If it was up to Satan, Canyon Creek would have shut down, and there would have been no church after that, and that generational thread of the gospel going forward would have been ceased. But God had a plan, and that's to continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when God starts to move in his people, Satan sees that, and he will do what he can do to try to, try to discourage us, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's in our finances, whether it's with good and bad or moral decisions that we need to make in our lives every day. There are things that get you down that might not get me down, and there are things that get me down that might not get you down. Because i tell you this, Satan knows where I'm weak. And I'm weak. Uh, we went out to dinner with some good friends last night. Dr. Brian, I thought of you, because one of our friends had a coconut cream pie. My wife, who loves me most of the time, was eating key lime pie. A friend sitting across from us was eating key lime pie. And I had coffee. No dessert. And I could smell it. And earlier that day when I took Kim, we, were, we have a wedding next week that we're going to. I took Kim to go buy a dress yesterday, which you'd think I'd get penance for, right? We walked by Cinnabon, right? And, and Cinnabon, I, I, will, I, I think I gained three pounds from smelling Cinnabon yesterday. This is what heaven's going to be like. There's no doubt about it. It was beautiful, right? And I know, like I know, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing my exercise and stuff. I'm making all the right life choices, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to do that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, I knew if I would have ate some of that pie yesterday, I would have had to have two bites, three bites, finished Kim's, finished Kenan's, finished Monica's, and then have my own. There's no doubt about it. Because that's an area where I'm weak. And I have to be, man, I've got to put the signs up. No! Because honestly, I can't handle that. Because I love to eat. Let's pray. I mean, that's just kind of, that's, that's my thing, right? So I got to be really careful and I've got to demonstrate some character in my life in that area. And it's, and it's just hard, but that's my weakness. Some of you are saying, some of you skinny, perfect. I've never gained an ounce of my whole life. People who I sort of love this morning are looking at me going, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just control yourself? I know I've got issues. If you have issues, tell somebody you're sitting next to, I have issues. 
If the person you're sitting next to has issues, point at them and say, and you do too. Just tell them that. You've got issues too. Satan knew where the children of Israel, you know what, you know what the weakness of the children of Israel was? They were very influenced and enamored with everybody else that surrounded them. If you look at their history, it's a fascinating history. Everybody else had a king, they wanted a king. Everybody else had stuff, they wanted stuff. Everybody else had land and acres and this and this and that. They wanted the riches. They wanted all the things that everybody else had instead of understanding God was Jehovah Jireh and would give them everything they needed and even more than they needed if they put their total faith and trust in him. And they said, well, why would they struggle like that? You know why that's in the Bible? Because we struggle like that too. We go from good to bad, highs and lows, because we're human beings and we mess up. Listen, I'm not here to make you feel bad this morning. I'm the same way. All of us do. When we read the story, we can relate to Gideon. We can relate to the children of Israel. And we also understand that we have a formidable enemy that wants to kick our tail. So how did Gideon grow from small to extra large? Well, first we see Gideon the coward. In Judges chapter 6, he said to God in verse 14 and 15, the Lord looked at him and said, go in strength. You are going to save Israel out of Midian's hand, and I'm sending you. And here's Gideon's response again. Pardon me, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. You got the wrong brother is what Gideon was saying to God. You got the wrong guy. And Gideon was afraid. I'm going to ask you a question. How many have ever been afraid? Raise your hand. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are afraid when God's leading you to do something that's unfamiliar? I am. Man, I'm afraid of that. I'm really afraid of that. Because you know what? We had a guy uh, who we knew for years and years and years was an influence in our life. His name was Jim McKelvey. Jim fought at the Normandy Beach invasion. He's still alive. He's about 94, 95. His wife, I think, passed. I think he's still alive, isn't he? I know his wife passed away this past year or two years ago. But Jim used to tell us stories about, you know, when they landed at Normandy. I mean, he just listened to that. It's like, oh, my gosh. But he always used to say this to me. I'd be at his house, and, he, and, and a, a, a lottery or a lotto commercial would come on. And I would look at him, and he would look at me. And he said, Pastor, I played the lottery this week, but if I hit, I'm going to give it to the church. I said, Amen. I said, amen. And he looked at me and said, because I'm going to tell you something, pastor. The devil's had that money long enough. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to play the lottery too. Amen. You know, that's good stuff right there, right? And, and it's, 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 it's interesting how we kind of look for our own way to figure stuff out instead of saying, Lord, help me. We try to figure it out. Have you ever tried to figure it out? And the way that you figured it out you look back on it and say, what was I thinking? That was doomed for failure right out of the gate. That had no chance whatsoever. And you know, when we, when we were in the process of starting Warehouse Church and thinking about our future and knowing we're going to move, and God blessed us with this amazing, listen, I wanted to, this didn't happen overnight. Not even just the setup and all this stuff. It's kind of funny if you want to hear a way to save money, talk to Pastor Gary, me and Pastor Joe. Uh, these are repurposed banners we had out in front of the building that we cut and stapled to the wall. This is landscaping material that we've had in our shed for months. This whole thing up here probably cost us about three bucks and probably about seven dollars in nails and stuff. So, I mean, we were, you know, we're pretty, we, but it's not the process of that, that, that that's significant. The process that God took our church through to be able to get us to this point today, it was a process, right? Selling our building for those of you that have been a part of our church for a long time. That was a tough thing. 
right? Last week, for, for some, it was, yay, we're moving. For some, it was, oh, man, my, part of my heart is here. This is, i got to work through this a little bit. I put a, I put a post on our church Facebook this morning. Uh, one of our family members made a sign that says, Warehouse Church has moved. And I took a picture of it and took a little uh, screenshot of the building. And I said, change. It's hard. It's, it's, it, it's difficult. And it's inevitable. Change is going to happen, Right? But the problem with a lot of us, starting with this guy right here, is when, when we see change happening, and it's, it's unfamiliar territory, right? Like, like the, the promised land for the children of Israel, or like something that God's told you he wants you to do with you and your family, with, with your giving, or with your service, or with your surrender, or with telling even a friend about Jesus, or just something that God's leading you to do in your life. We get afraid of that, and that change that he's leading us to do can lead us to make cowardly decisions. But Gideon was, at first he was a coward in his response, but then Gideon understood that he was called. God said to him, you are a mighty man, you're a warrior. I'm gonna do great things in you. I'm gonna give you strength. I'm gonna be behind you. You are gonna wipe out the entire nation of Midian. Gideon was called, and I wanna tell you something this morning. You are a called people. We are called people today. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people. Tell somebody you're sitting next to, you're chosen. And then say to do parking lot duty next week. No, don't say that. Don't say that. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of the greatest things I love about Sunday morning, I love seeing you, I love our church, I love the privilege of sharing these, these, these precious words of life out of, words, out of God's word, but can I tell you to, in confession this morning, my favorite thing about Sunday morning is when I turn the corner and my granddaughter Logan sees me and says pop and comes running towards me. I love you, but nothing beats that. And grandparents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the bomb. She just comes running up to me, and I'm teaching her all these cool things. I'll say to her, Logan, who loves pop? And she'll go, I do. Now, if you say to her, Logan, who loves fire hydrant? She'll say, I do. She doesn't understand, but I hear what I want to hear. You know what I'm saying? And that girl knows that she is chosen by her grandfather to just be the apple of my eye and my little peanut. I love that little girl, right? And there's nothing like that. As much as you think you love your kids, as much as you think you love your grandkids, as much as you think you love your husband or wife, God chose you. He loves you. And he's got something crazy, unbelievable, Ephesians 3.20 size that he wants to do in your life and do in the life of your family. You're called. Don't be a coward. You're called. Gideon was also a challenger. 1 Peter 4 describes to us on how God has challenged us. He, he was a challenger. If you read Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 8, you'll read this whole story of how God used Gideon. And man, something crazy happened with Gideon. And Gideon was told by God, you're going to kill every one of these people in the Midianite army. They were a big army, huge, huge army. And there was 32,000 people that said, I will follow Gideon. We're going to go kick Midian booty. That's what it says in one of the other versions of the Bible. They were going to kick Midian booty, right? So they were going to kick Midian butt, 32,000 soldiers. And God says to Gideon, you know the story, too many. Go before the whole army and say, if any of you are afraid and you don't want to do this, you get a pass and you get to go home. 
So Gideon goes before everybody and says, God said, if any of you are afraid, and Gideon's probably standing on a big platform because he's about five foot four, he's a little guy, yelling out to everybody, and they're going, how did he get to be our boss? Everybody's saying that, right? But God chose him. He was a mighty warrior. Size didn't matter. He was big in God's eyes. Somebody short say amen. Okay, good. Hey, my wife's five foot one. No short hate at all. So listen. So he says, anybody of you that are afraid, you can go home to 32,000 people. I don't know what kind of sound system they have, but everybody heard it. And 22,000 people left. What? Two-thirds. Two-thirds of this arm. And getting... 32,000 people together was no small task. They didn't have cell phones. Facebook was barely just invented back then in the Bible. There was no way to communicate to get everybody together. 32,000 people. God whittled it down to 10,000 people. And I bet you Gideon was a little afraid. I bet you he felt like saying that for the third time, God, uh, <laughs> pardon me. What are you doing here? God, everybody's leaving, right? And God says it again. It's not enough. There's too many people take them down to the water, and the guys that jam their face in the water dismiss them and tell them to go home. But the guys that watch and are looking and, and take a cup of water with their hand and keep their eyes open and, and kind of do it this way with the water, those are the guys you want to keep, 10,000 people, right? So I don't know if he had, I don't know if he had generals or, or things like that. 10,000 is a lot of people to count, Right? Only 300 guys qualified after that. I heard somebody say, how could that army of 32,000 go from 10,000 to 300? And I heard a lady say this one time. That's because it was all men. It wasn't women. None of the women would have left. <laughs> Ladies, can I get an amen a little bit? A little funny there, okay? 300 guys. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm listening to this story and I'm going, I don't get this. It just doesn't make sense, Right? From, from a very practical standpoint, if you are a practical person, it doesn't make sense. 22,000, 10,000, 300 people. And God was trying to teach Gideon something, a principle in Romans 8.28, that we know all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The Bible also tells in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us. So listen to what happens. Gideon takes the 300 guys and gets them down to that 300 faithful guys. They were warriors, right? Takes them early in the morning and he tells them, blow some horns and break iron jars. That's all you gotta do. And they're going, not even machine guns, not even poppers, not even, you know, not even like bombs or something. You want us to get pots of clay and, 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 and trumpets, and this is how we're going to win? So Gideon and his guys go up there, and they're thinking, man, something crazy is going to happen here because this makes no sense at all. Da, 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 da. <sighs> they start breaking pots. The Midian people start going crazy. <laughs> right? And they start killing each other. And the entire army was eradicated. It was done. Now, when you read through that story, you say, Obviously, because that's what God planned, right? We're reading this story from a historical perspective, so it kind of makes sense because we can read the end of the story. When this has happened in Gideon's life and those 300 guys, they're scratching their heads. They're trying to figure it out. It doesn't make sense. And I think that's, that happens a lot in our life too when God wants to teach us things he's growing us through. I want you to give more because I'm gonna do something great in your life. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
If I give more, I'm going to have less, God. Doesn't make any sense, right? If I do more, I'm going to have less time. If I go there, i got to move away from this. If I do that, my life is going to change, and it doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. The author and the finisher of our faith is Jesus Christ. When he gives us a directive, he knows how it's going to turn out, even though we don't. And what he wants us to do is trust him. I don't know how all this is going to turn out. I kind of have an idea because of our blueprints and what we're planning to do on how our building's going to turn out. But I, we don't know the day it's going to happen. We don't know the day it's going to be done. We don't know when all the resources are going to be in. We don't know when everything is going to be signed, sealed, and delivered. But I can tell you this, the day we get over there to that side of the building is not the day that we're done. That's not the end, last chapter, sayonara, end of the verse for Warehouse Church. We told our church months ago when we met over in one of those tiny glass rooms over there, tiny, tiny classrooms. We all jammed in on a cold day. I think it was in February, if I'm not mistaken. We said, we're praying that God will give us this whole facility someday. And it might not be here. It might be somewhere. God's got a plan for our church, and what he wants us to do is this. Totally depend and trust in him. When it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense sometimes. And God does things, God sighs, so we know it was him. How did 300 people defeat an army of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, period? God. That's the only way that that happens. If you have a giant in your life, if you have an army that's against you in your life that you're working through, if it's with personal life decisions, if it's in your finances, if it's with your kids, if it's with your if it's with your uh, husband or wife, man, that thing just seems so big, it doesn't even seem possible that you can defeat that enemy. Trust God. Give it to him. He's gonna do things in your life when you put your full trust in him. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I, I, I shared this with an Iranian guy two years ago, right in front of, of all places, I think I told the church about a Buckingham Palace in front of that huge, huge statue, whatever that thing is there, and the guy says, how do I know that God is real? And I said, you pray this prayer in Hebrews chapter 11, that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You say that every day to God and he will reveal himself to you and tell you about Jesus. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in my life. That's what he wants to do in this church is for us to be used to reveal the gospel, the story when Canyon Creek Church started 45, 46 years ago in somebody's living room with a group of super faithful people, it was to tell people about Jesus. When we continued that ministry and started Warehouse Church last July, it wasn't so we could thumb our nose at our past and say, ah, we're bigger, we're better, we're stronger. We're the no, sir. We were on the backs of faithful, faithful people continuing. We took that baton and we'll say, okay, we'll go to the next generation and we'll be faithful. And we're going to not only make you guys proud, we're going to make our father proud and tell people about Jesus and tell people about Jesus and tell people about Jesus and invite them to church and invite them to church and invite them to church and, and, and have more people working with our kids and have more people working with our students. And have more people working in our parking lot with Kevin. And have more people working and saying hi to people in our huge lobby. And have more people doing the work of the ministry so more people can hear about Jesus. Because God wants to use you and I not to be afraid and be cowards. To accept our calling. To accept the challenge. 
and to be conquerors. Let me ask you this question. What are you this morning? Are you a coward? I'm not, I'm not hating. I'm afraid too sometimes. This kind of stuff scares me too. You say, man, you like this move. And you, somebody said this to me every day. Pastor, it just seems like you like the challenge. I love the challenge, but I want to tell you, I still go back and say, Lord, please help me. Help me not to make a mistake. This is really scary. And then I come out and I put on the gospel glaze. Everything's good. Amen. Amen. Everything's good. <laughs> I got that gospel glaze. You know that gospel glaze you have in your car? You're on your way to church with your kids. Shut up! You spilled orange juice in my car! Then you get out of the car. Jesus loves you. Amen. You know, we get that gospel glaze on our face. We Jesus juke people. I love that phrase. We, we make people think that we got it all together. Yeah, I love God. I really, everything's good in my house, right? Everything's good. Everything's together. My marriage is great. My kids are perfect. Every bill that I have is paid. I don't owe a penny to anybody. And everything in my life is awesome. <laughs> because we know it's not true. We know it's not true. We get afraid. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. But understand, when you do get afraid, remind yourself that you've been called. You're chosen. When you get afraid, remind yourself you're called and chosen. Accept the challenge that God has given you in your life to be the man or woman that he's called you to be and believe that through him, not alone, not because we're the man, not because we're strong, not because we have this, not because we've done this, not because we have history, not because we have degrees, not because we have uh, all this experience behind us. It's because of God working through you that great things can be done. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So what are you this morning? If you're afraid of stuff, ask God to forgive you. Accept the challenge. Accept the call and be a conqueror through him this morning. Church, this is not the warehouse church, right? We've been alive for a year. We want to be faithful until Jesus calls us home. We want to see people saved every week, every day if possible. And God's going to do that through him if we believe that he'll use us to be his conquerors. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.